I've done a couple work projects with this guest, Jenny Hill, before we take this episode. I did not know her super well, but this was a cool conversation around gender reveals, or should I call them anatomy reveals, when women get more of a voice in the workplace, FOMO or fear of missing out, and the like. I would actually say this is one of the episodes I take where I felt quote-unquote woke, and I know that word has negative connotations and repercussions, and wanted to do more with this podcast in 2020. So thanks for that, Jenny, and let's get into it. work in learning and development. I've been in learning and development for about 10 years. And I came to that career from technology. So I used to be a web developer. And then I became like a courseware developer, like doing e-learning type stuff. And now I'm uh, more broadly learning development strategy and that kind of thing. Um, So it really kind of ticks a lot of cool boxes for me because I really like learning new things and I like helping other people learn things. Um, But I was never really going to go down the path of like teaching exactly. Like I knew fairly early on in my education that I didn't want to be like a, you know, a K to 12 teacher because it's just not my, not my jam, but teaching adults makes a lot more, a lot more logical sense to me. So that's kind of where I've wound up. Yeah, that's cool. Why? Um, I've always wondered this, like, since I've been working, basically, why do you think in like mid-sized to large corporations, why do we put learning within HR or like as a, as a subset of HR? Cause that always feels like that sheer act of doing that is this going to deprioritize learning because like HR is generally a deprioritized department. Do you think it's just like a logical place for it to be? I almost feel like it should be under like business development or some growth thing because theoretically if your people are like learning new stuff and able to pivot and like, you know, curious about things like that would be good for your organization. It just feels static to have it in HR, you know? Yeah. There's a couple of reasons I think why it winds up there a lot. One of them being, um, when a company is growing sort of past the 50 employee mark, suddenly they have some training requirements. Like they have to train on legislative things. They have to do their compliance stuff that they wouldn't have had to do otherwise. And a lot of times it's HR that kind of brings those requirements to the leadership of the organization. And then it just sort of sits there. Mm. Um, So they're like, oh yeah, we have to train everybody on sexual harassment or whatever. And they're like, oh, you can take care of that. Right. So so that's like one of the reasons why it winds up there. The other thing is a lot of times the like the ownership of like people development. So, you know, making sure that people have a career path and that they're competent and those kinds of things lands in HR. Uh, even though it's it should be at least at least half, if not more, owned by the leaders of the individuals who are right. working there. Um, so then it kind of gets pulled back into HRs. Of course, we would centralize all of our people development um, because we, you know, we've built these career paths for people. Um, but I, I do think, and it's funny because I've only actually worked in an HR department once. Mm-hmm. So I've been in training for a huge amount of time, but I've been doing like customer training and I've worked in kind of a more agency type situation and that kind of thing. So it hasn't really been an area where I've 
spent a lot of time in HR, but the stuff I really like about learning development often winds up in HR, which is like, you know, helping people kind of take, take control of their careers and, you know, figure out what they want and how to get it. A lot of that stuff winds up in HR versus with good leaders, which is where I wish it would live. Yeah. So do you think that there is a, do you, obviously this varies by individual, but do you think there is like a, uh, quote unquote career arc still, or does it feel like it's just like a lot of job hopping between different places in order to like get more compensation or responsibility? Cause I feel like most people I know, it feels like maybe they're within uh, an industry or a specific career, but it doesn't feel like career arcs are like as much of a thing. Like it feels like everybody's kind of like a solo assassin in a way. Do you yeah. have a perception of that? I think, I think that's true. And like, I think people now more than ever have to own what their career is because the, you know, the traditional sort of going back to the 60s idea that you're going to go into a company, they're somehow going to notice how useful you are, and then, yeah. you know, manage you into higher levels of, uh, you know, of contribution is just doesn't happen anymore. And who even knows if it happened then? Like, I feel like it's a myth. But now, because companies are more, you know, especially private and not private, especially public companies, uh, are so much more cutthroat, it feels like, you know, so there's no, there's no sense of accountability toward, you know, developing your right. employees necessarily, right. you know, you're, you're accountable to making sure your shareholders are making money. And, you know, your, your people costs are a huge cost on your bottom line. So I feel like there's less concern about seeing people grow and more about seeing, you know, the spreadsheets grow one way or another. So people have to take that responsibility on themselves. I think career arcs still exist. Like I would say I have had a career arc, maybe not, you know, the most perfectly linear thing. Right. Um, but I, I wouldn't take a role that I didn't think I was going to learn more from than the role that I'm in. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I actually think that's a better way to think about it. Probably 95% of people frame that uh, explicitly as a compensation thing. Like, well, I wouldn't take a role that's the same or less, right? Even though sometimes yeah. like, you encounter a place where you have to. But I feel like if you took less money but had the opportunity to learn something that's going to be more relevant in five years, that's actually like a solid trade-off, you know? like For sure. A lot of people make these like <clears throat> immediate career decisions on money and like money uh, is important, like for sure. I mean, like I've had really good years being solo and I've had crappy years and like your life is harder in the crappier years. But I also think like <clears throat> money come, like comes and goes in many ways, you know, and it's not like I think we probably assign a higher importance to it than uh we should broadly you know yeah and i think like the ability to learn new stuff is like vital to human existence so i think um yeah those that trade-off is like almost everyone i know whose job hopped is like well i got like eight thousand more dollars or whatever and you're like right but it could be 
some soul draining job where you don't learn anything and like nobody communicates. Right. So I think there's bigger factors than just money. Yeah. I will say there, there are some, some situations where I might recommend job hopping due to money. Right. Um, Particularly for people who are kind of, of our vintage, who were kind of coming into their career during the recession. So, you know, there's a lot of people who got hired, you know, at fairly low salaries who have been kind of, un, you know, kind of being undervalued for some time yep. and, you know, shifting around a couple of times to see how much you're really, you're really worth, um, I think is really valuable for some of those folks. Cause there's a lot of research out there that says, you know, once you get to, you know, 40 years old or whatever, you know, you're kind of topping out yep. um, what you're going to make life lifelong. Right. So, yeah. There's like that. Um, it's like a Federal Reserve of St. Louis thing I saw a couple of years ago that like basically it really depressed me because I was already older than it. But it was basically like what you do between 22 and 28 basically like sets your entire like financial future, like from a compensation perspective. And I was like, whoops, <laughs> didn't really focus as much on that during that time. Uh, but yeah, it was like, I've, I've seen, and I would also say like, I talk about this with a guy in some like men's group I'm in. I honestly think in some ways, like most people's career is really just like end of college or if they go to college, like whenever they start working until about, uh, 40, because I feel like that's probably when, uh, well, like federal regulation wise, that's when like ageism stuff kicks in. Yep. But I would say like, I have a, I have a dude works at Microsoft and he's 42 and he's like, man, if I ever lose this job, I'll never get another job. Wow. <laughs> it's like the depressing thing ever. And he probably would get another job. Like he's a coder and shit, but like, yeah. I'm always like, wow, that's like terrifying that like we think of our careers as some like 50 year arc but really they're focused on like decisions you make across like six to ten of those years you know it's like uh weirdly profound to think about um so what uh like what would you say i'm gonna put you on the spot on this one and you don't have to have some otherworldly answer to it but um i don't know how old you are and i don't you're not supposed to ask women that anyway but uh (laughs) if you uh if you have cleared 30 or are near it, like what do you think is like the biggest or some of the biggest differences between 20s and 30s that you've observed so far or anticipate observing or whatever? Yeah, so I think it's interesting, particularly for women. So I'm 38. I'm happy to wow. share how much I, uh, how how old I am. Uh, We're but... the same age. That's cool. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh I think for women, something really interesting happens in the workplace when you turn 30. Uh, uh, and the the thing that I perceived kind of in that time frame was that all of a sudden I was worth listening to. It was really weird. So for men, it's different. I think this happens at a younger age for men. But for women, women don't really have a, what I would say is a strong voice in the workplace and particularly not in a male dominated workplace until they hit 30. I don't know whether that's like, suddenly there's this perception that you've, you know, you've become old enough to be a mother figure and people can, you know, can associate some authority with that. 
but like it was almost like night and day between being in my 20s and being in my 30s and people being willing to listen to what I had to bring to the table. So it was very weird. That's cool. I hadn't even thought about that. One thing I always uh, that like ties into it that I was just thinking about while you were saying that is uh, a lot of times like I think the average age of like first child, if you choose to have children, it's been rising. So I think it's actually like 32 now, but like every place I've worked, um, like both contract and full-time, it's always like in that 28 to 32 block that you start seeing that. So do you think it's like a combination of like, maybe people being perceived as like more like maternal boss level slash like other women are dropping out of the workforce in that block of time so that then your voice rises above like is it two pronged and i also agree that it probably happens for men at like 24 25 which is sad like that gap yeah. should exist you know but do you think there's anything to do with like uh the changing like numbers of women in the workplace around those ages i think that's potentially part of it um well and in canada it's also interesting because we have different um uh parental leave laws right so oh, okay. um so when when women go on uh mat leave uh, they have the potential to take up to a year to 18 months off, um, which is, it's good in a lot of ways because it helps to reduce childcare costs and a lot of things, but, um, but it can, it can potentially put a, you know, kind of put a little damper on your career during that time. I would say that I didn't experience that, which is interesting. Um, like, so I did, I did have kids, uh, in that exact time frame that you're talking about. So I had one when I was 30 and one when I was 32 and you know, I'm, I'm all done. So I remember at that time being a little bit like, Oh no, you know, my, my path is going to be stunted for whatever reason, because I'm taking some time off, but I didn't, I didn't find that. I found I was able to kind of, you know, continue my own, uh, professional development. I was still involved with, um, you know, some professional associations and things. So I, I really increased my network during that time, which was That's cool. cool. Um, even, even though I wasn't necessarily kind of contributing at, you know, in the workplace, I was still able to kind of come back in a better position that I was when I left. So, um, so it was, it was good. I think the way I managed it, but for some people and in some workplaces, I think it might not be quite so positive. Right. So did you ever encounter, or do you know people that encountered that whole, the old narrative about like men in offices or in workplaces thinking that like, now you're less committed to your work. Like to have you, did you see that? Or do you know people that have seen that? So it's really funny. I have a funny story about how, um, so the first the first time I got pregnant and you know the the thing when you're when you're newly pregnant is you don't tell anybody because right. you never know if it's going to work out. Right. So so I hadn't told anyone, you know, I'm obviously like super hormonal and emotional and I remember somebody in my workplace saying something about you know, oh man, everybody in such and such department is going on mat leave. They're going to have to stop hiring women over there. 
like they said something like that and like it was an off the cuff like they were you know they were not trying to you know be overly sexist in that moment I know it wasn't an intentional thing but like I literally left like I was so mad that you know that someone would say something like that you know and you know in retrospect obviously I was in a heightened state of you know right you know, sensitivity to that type of thing but you know it's it's something that you know that does sort of come up in conversation and people do I think have that perception until they see that it's not the case right like and I, I've heard it more from people who are younger like who who haven't you know had the experience of having friends who've had kids who still you know you know work and have careers uh, and particularly from people who haven't seen that in their parents either like so for me uh, my my parents had you know my my dad had his own business and my mom sort of helped with that so they were around mm -hmm. um, but they were working right so so i had kind of a different perspective on it than someone who might have had you know their their mom at home ready with the after school snack every day right totally um i worked for this agency for a little bit last year and it was only about 50 people and five of them got pregnant in the same time frame right so actually funny story was um there's a bad side to this story that i won't tell but the good funnier part is uh the last one to announce was this girl um and she there was like a conversation in like a lunch break area that was exactly akin to your conversation and uh, she came in and was like doing something like preparing something. And it was always like, she was eating weird crap at the time too. So like, there was kind of like a, a possibility there, like whispers there. Right. Yeah. Somebody was like, man, like there's already four people pregnant. Like if it gets to five, six, like, uh, what are we going to do? But, and she like stormed out of this break room thing. And, uh, I remember this dude that was on the team I was doing work with was like, oh, yeah, that's a definite yes. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. Well, it's funny because, like, I, I feel her in that moment, right? Like, it's, yeah. like, it's so hard because, you know, you can't, you can't make decisions about your life based on what's going on in your workplace. No. But at the same time, it affects you so strongly, right? Right. right. Uh, what's the, go ahead. Well, it's hard when you've got when you're in an organization like that that's small because it has an even bigger effect, right? Like everybody around you is going to be a little mad that their you know their workload could be increasing soon, right? right. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's a tough it's a tough thing to navigate. I think I think in Canada the way things are managed with mat leave it's being better. longer is better because yeah. you can hire someone on contract for a year. Yeah, you know? I have a friend. I have a friend in uh, Cincinnati that does that. She just goes in and replaces people basically for like the 16 weeks they get or whatever, you know, 12 weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, <clears throat> I would think, I would just think everything societally, it would make more sense. And like kind of the America especially has this like overinflated narrative around productivity, like that productivity is everything like in reality even even a woman in like a business critical role if she took a year like it really wouldn't affect the the company as much as like the narrative wants to say it would you know like people should be allowed to live 
their life outside of like being a slave to numbers, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And even if, even if that person does take a year, it's so much easier to backfill a year than to backfill 12 weeks. Right. Like you can't hire someone on a 12 week contract to do something right. that's high value. They're right. like, no, I can't get anything, you know? No, you can't even learn. You can't even learn some functionality and process in 12 weeks in all honesty. I mean, like basic stuff, obviously you can, but like, you know, there's all those stats about like the higher up a chain you are, it's like supposed to take nine months to like fully onboard or whatever. So I don't know how my friend in Cincinnati does it because I mean, it is like usually 12 to 16 week contracts. It's probably more like administrative clerical or whatever. Um, yeah, I think so, some people too are just better at like getting the lay of the land quickly. Yeah. Like some people just get, get it sorted sooner than others, I think. Yeah, that's true. I mean, honestly, with most jobs, the, the hardest part is learning like the politics and the people, like usually the task stuff is not that hard. It's exactly. just like, how the people fit together and all that. Okay. So if you had your second kid, like five, six years ago, you, um, you probably miss some of the, like the current, uh, ecosystem around like being pregnant or whatever, like gender reveals and all that. Um, oh my God. Yeah. So <laughs> like I have a weird relationship to it because I was with my ex for like nine, 10 years. And like we were, well, she's from Miami, but I'm from the Northeast. And like a lot of the people we were friends with, like had kids later. So it was like those kids were starting to be born around the time that me and her were breaking up so it's kind of like i never went through that with a girl that i was with yeah and the girl i'm with now is like literally i think every single one of her friends is pregnant or has been pregnant in the last year and that's like a big instagram uh scene which i don't really i think instagram has a lot of flaws personally but so it's yeah. kind of like you got a lot you got this big like bump holding uh instagram culture and then you got these like gender reveals which is like i don't know how we came up with this or what it like what the point of it is and then now i've seen arguments online about it should be called a sex reveal because those things are different so do you have any um having like missed that wave uh for your own pregnancies do you have any uh hot takes or thoughts on them so I think, I think it's a, a whole lot of performative BS, honestly, yeah. like, I mean, I understand, you know, when you're in kind of a vulnerable position, like being pregnant, like positive attention, like you, you go crazy for it. Right. So like, I could see why it, it has gotten so big so quickly because, you know, these people are, you know, they're feeling vulnerable. They're, you know, they're in a challenging position. They, you know, they want the heat, the love heaped on them. Right. But like, I, I just can't with the gender reveal stuff. Like it's, you know, it's so much like work and performance about something that matters to pretty much nobody, you know? And like, so with mine, I actually didn't find out, like, I didn't want to know. Hmm. Uh, because I was like, there's so few things that are a surprise that like when the kid is born, at least I can announce what kind of kid it is. Right. So, um, so I didn't, uh, I didn't go down that uh, path of even finding out. 
and now, yeah, well, and I guess at the time when I was having kids, uh, Pinterest was the big thing. Oh, yeah. And I used to call it the stay at home mom Olympics because it felt very much like, you know, who's doing the coolest craft and who's spending the most time making messes with their children and all that kind of thing. And I was, you know, pretty quickly, I was just like, nope, I noped right on out of it because it, it felt artificial to me. I'm much more along the lines of, you know, let's let's do the best we can by our children, yep. but without, yep. you know, sacrificing our own mental health in the process. Yeah, I agree. I have a friend who's uh, I have a friend who's one of uh, seven and all seven of them are college professors. It's like oh, my of, gosh. That's uh, kind of a crazy that's a Thanksgiving. I'd like to see. <laughs> yeah. So he his older brother is at University of Michigan. And he is North America's foremost researcher on, this is a huge thing for your tombstone, Instagram and female depression. <laughs> that's like his wow. major, uh, that's his major uh, topic of study. I think he's in like either psychology or sociology at U Michigan. So I saw them at a wedding like a year ago and the guy's telling me like, okay, all social media is probably harder on women in general, which I think I would agree with. Um, and then he's like, we used to only study like teenage girls when they were getting on it and like feeling left out of stuff or like body issues or whatever. And he's like, now the new rage in like Facebook, Instagram, depression research is like the pregnancy uh, period of life. Cause that's like causing like a bunch of women to feel like left behind or like someone else is doing pregnancy and childbirth better than they did, you know? Yeah. Or like that first baby photo. Right. Um, Cause like some women will apply like makeup and stuff for it or put filters on it. So I just thought it was funny that there's like legitimate academic research about this stuff, you know, that like yeah. it goes beyond just people talking about it at like friends givings, you know? Yeah. Well, and like the, you know, the impacts are real. So I'm glad that there's some people out there trying to apply some research science to it. But yeah, I, I would say now that I'm kind of, past some of those big life stage things instagram is a is a more relaxed prospect uh, for, me. Yeah, for sure for sure um and i wanted to ask you one thing because you work in the learning field so this might sound um uh overly ambitious but um do you think we're kind of like societally at a place where like learning is like seems less relevant or vilified like it feels like people just want to cling to the polls that they're that they have or the info that they want to disseminate or whatever do you feel that way sometimes and then if so do you think people in L&D even have like a greater burden of responsibility on them because we spend so much time at work that like having uh channels to learn and figure out how to uh parse information is maybe like more relevant now than ever yeah i think in general learning is only going to be increasingly important as sort of the speed of change 
increases, like the faster new technology is released and the, you know, the quicker our news cycles are, the more agile humans need to be in order to react and kind of either assess or benefit from all of that stuff. Um, so I think it's important. I think the thing, the big challenge that learning is facing is that a lot of particularly formal learning type opportunities are seen as less valuable, which in some cases I kind of agree. Like um, you can you can have a perfectly productive, awesome, uh, beneficial, amazing life without, you know, getting a master's degree or whatever. That's yeah. totally, that's totally a, a thing that I think um, is where we're headed. Um, I think we're kind of, we're kind of on the pendulum swing where for a while formal education was seen as like the only path forward. And now we're starting to swing back the other way. Like, no, there's so much you can do without, you know, going through a lot of higher education. Um, and there's so much human knowledge out there to be accessed. I think where learning is failing a bit and where uh, people probably need the most help is how to own and drive their own learning. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of people out there who've kind of, they've come up through a formal education process. They're used to kind of having things fed to them by road or, you know, something gets changed in the workplace and there's a training session on it. Um, but that's going to happen less and less because there's just not enough capacity to do a training session on everything that changes. So people are just going to have to suck it up and pick it up on their own a little bit more. And that's a big shift. Like it's a huge shift. And for me in learning and development, you know, I would much rather help support people to adapt to those things uh, than, you know, put together another six-week training program on something that people are going to forget two weeks after they finish it, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. And that's like, I feel like that's commonly the thing. It's like, I was at McKesson for a while and they had a pretty big L and D team internal because it's like the uh, Fortune 15 company or something, but it yeah. was like everything, everything that they put together, like literally, it would roll out, and like three days later, people would be like, "What were we supposed to do with that again?" It was like almost every training because I was on this rotational thing there. So I worked with them on one thing and it was like everything that the, I mean, I, I'm not saying it to like crap on that team, although I am kind of doing that, but it was like, um, it was just funny cause they would put like 50 hours, 70 hour weeks in on some of this. And then like two days later, some like higher up would be like, what was that training about again? Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. Okay. Well that didn't stick, you know? Yeah. Um, and sometimes oh. it's the product of the environment too, right? That's like if the organization is expecting a certain thing, uh, sometimes you're going to get pushed into delivering that, whether it's the right answer or not. Yep. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's challenging. I will say I've, I've definitely built an awful lot of training that may not have been the best solution, but it was what was arrived at because right. of the stakeholder needs right. uh, rather than the actual learning needs. Right. Um, 
Okay, and then my last question was going to be, um, and this is another like on the spot one, so you don't have to have some breathtaking answer or anything. But do you, as you've gone through your 20s and 30s, like career, personal, do you have any kind of like uh, credos or maxims or like life advice that you try to follow above all to just like kind of keep you focused on uh, your relationship and children and job and like, you know, quote unquote, like straight and narrow. Do you have any kind of like overarching uh, life lessons or maxims that you uh, f find yourself falling back on? I think for like the career side of things, the the thing that has really served me well through my career is to always kind of keep my eyes open. Uh, I think the challenge that a lot of folks run into is they, you know, they get into a position and they're, you know, they're comfortable, they're, you know, they're doing what they need to do uh, and they're not really kind of keeping their eyes open to potential future opportunities. Uh, so for me, the the thing that I started doing, I guess, going back five or six years ago is I'm always I'm always looking at other opportunities that are available. I'm always interviewing. I'm always, you know, talking with other folks in the industry, not because I'm necessarily looking for another job right away, right. Uh, but I'm, I'm always open to potential opportunities that are going to help me grow more. Um, and I think in terms of my personal life, I think the thing that I've learned the most over the past, you know, even 10 years is I don't have to do as much as I think I do. <laughs> Yeah. Like, like, and that, I mean, I guess that applies to my career as well. Like I, you know, I'm a very ambitious human in general, and it's easy for me to get into the trap of, you know, I have to do this and this and this and this and this. Uh, but, you know, but really even doing half of those things is still, you know, quite, quite a good thing to have done. So I think just kind of reconciling my, uh, my over ambition with, you know, reality uh, is something I'm continually working on and probably the biggest thing to share with uh, with folks who are starting to come into that part of their life. Uh, it's easy to get caught up in the, you know, I'm not doing as well as X because X has done all of these things. But um, but for all you know, they, they wanted to do 300 things beyond that and everybody's got different capacities to actually accomplish. So um, So for me, I think just being thankful and grateful for what I have been able to do and not beat myself up over the things that are yet to come.